Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and we are honored that you chose to listen as Pastor Stephen looks at the book of Romans, starting a new series of the book of Romans called A Life Transformation. And today, we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, titled, The Marks of a True Christian. Hey, if you have a Bible today, go ahead, grab it, open to the book of Romans. Today, we're beginning a brand new series after finishing up our Uh, non-negotiable series. It is entitled A Life Transformation. And we're going to be doing a systematic study through the book of Romans verse by verse. And the reason why I've called it a life transformation is because if you've ever studied or read anything about church history, some of the greatest men and women of faith, they came from uh, pagan lifestyles. Uh, wickedness and evilness, and many of them, God used their reading of the book of Romans to transform their lives. And we're going to see this morning the guy who wrote the book of Romans through the help of the Holy Spirit, arguably the most transformed life there has ever been. So I've never, I've never preached verse by verse through the book of Romans before. 29 years of ministry, I've you know, preached passages, I've preached chapter 8 before a series there, but never verse by verse through the book of Romans. So I'm excited about that. Um, we will spend anywhere from a year and a half to two years in the book of Romans. So uh, that means that you guys got to hang on. Okay, if you cut loose early, then you'll miss the ending. So today, we're going to cover Romans chapter 1, verse 1. So you'll understand why it's going to take us almost two years to do that. But I'm praying as we begin this new series that not only will our study of Romans, not only will your life be changed for the positive, but I'm praying that it'll it'll change the life of our community for the positive. I mean, we're the ones that make up our community. And if our lives are changed, then surely... It must result in a changed community. This morning, I want to talk to you about the marks of a real Christian, and we're going to be looking again at the life of the man who wrote the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul. So look there with me, chapter 1, verse 1 of Romans. He writes, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. Let's stop right there. To me, when I read chapter 1, verse 1, this is, this is the resume of a real Christian. These are the marks of someone that has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And so Paul, he begins by saying, let me identify who I am and let me give you a little insight to my spiritual resume. And so today I want to ask you, what does your spiritual resume look like? Or maybe, maybe I should ask you this, do you even have a spiritual resume? Let's look this morning at three marks of a true follower of Jesus Christ. The first one, he was changed by Jesus. He was changed by Jesus. To me, that is a beautiful picture of salvation. You say, well, how do you get from what we've just read changed by Jesus? Because of one single word, and that is his name, Paul. Paul was not his given name at birth. His given name at birth was Saul. When he was born, 
it was given to him by his family, and somewhere it changed to Paul, and that is a beautiful indication of not only the change of his names, but the change of his life, and the change of his heart, and the change of his attitude. He had undergone a life change that was so markably different before he came to know Christ that he even changed his name. So let me tell you a little bit about the names and what they meant, because that gives us some insight into this change that happened by Jesus in Paul's life. Saul means aggressive. Saul means ambitious. The name Paul means small. It means little. It means humble. Can't you just see this little man so full of energy? We would say this, he was a real go-getter. He was, he was ambitious. He was full of energy. He was a hard worker. The problem is he was full of energy and he was a hard worker for the wrong thing. But once he was changed by Jesus, we might even say once he was tamed by Jesus Christ, all of a sudden he starts using all of his energy for the right thing and the right cause. Paul changed in three ways, and my prayer is that your life will be marked by these three changes that Jesus can bring in the life. The first way that Paul was changed by Jesus, he was changed from religion to a relationship. Now, Paul was religious. He was highly religious. Matter of fact, Paul was more religious before he met Jesus than he was after he met Jesus Christ. Now, when I talk about religious or I talk about religion, I want you to understand what I'm talking about. Religious means that you go through some kind of motion, you go through some kind of ritual to try to please God. There's something that I can do, there's something that I can say, there's some kind of, uh, you know, uh, religious type act that I can grab a hold of that would cause God to love me more, or if I don't do that, love me less. It's religious. Religion. Let me just stop and say this. There are a lot of things that we need more of, but religion is not one of them. We don't need more religion. What we need is we need more people that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, being transformed by his grace in their own lives. Religion never changed anything, but a relationship with Christ will change everything. The problem with some people, even, even folks in the Baptist church, is that they're still into this ritual of performance rather than knowing Jesus Christ. Friend, let me just say this. If you act one way when you're in church and you act another completely different way when you're outside of church, then you are religious, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If the only time you ever open up your Bible, if the only time you ever pray, if the only time that you ever sing praises to Jesus is when you find yourself in church on Sunday morning as a part of corporate worship, you'd better examine whether you are in a religion or you are in a relationship. Paul was changed by Christ. Highly religious, he met Jesus and he realized, you know what? Religion leads to death, yet a relationship with Christ brings with it life. He was also changed because his life went from that of guilt 
to grace. Paul was trying to keep the law. I got to do this. I don't need to do that. If I do this, then I'll be more in God's favor. If I do this, then God will appreciate me. If I do this, then I will prove my right standing to God. If I don't do this, then, you know, he, so he's sitting there and he's trying to live his life according to the law. And all he did was find himself guilty. Matter of fact, Paul's the one who wrote this. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Can I get a witness this morning? Are y'all awake? Y'all all right? Okay. All right, just make sure. Sometimes it's hard for me to see who's out there because of the lights. I want to make sure it's just not me in the first two rows. Yeah, he's the guy who sits there and says, Hey, everything that I devoted my life towards, all these religious things... Once I came to know Jesus and the grace that he offers, I've now realized the sense and the, and the air of guilt that surrounded my life because I was trying through performance in my life to do something that I could never do for myself. He discovered salvation is a free gift of God. Salvation can never be earned. Forgiveness cannot be attained. That God will never ever sit there and say, I've been watching you. You've been a good little boy and a good little girl. You know what? I'll go ahead and let you earn your way to heaven. It will not happen. Paul's the one when we get to Romans 6.23. Who will write this? He'll say the wages of sin, they are death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the sad thing today is, guys, we have churches that are filled with folks who are still trying to obey the law. Now, I'm not talking about the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was built around Jewish dietary rituals and laws. You can eat this and you can't eat that and all those kinds of things. But instead, we have a lot of legalistic folks who have yet to discover grace. That there are some people who still believe that their performance earns brownie points with God. Please hear this today. There is nothing upon nothing that you will ever do that will cause God to say, I love you more than I do right now. Nothing that you'll ever do that will cause God to say, I love you any less than I love you right now. God loves, period. And he loves you unconditionally. And when you, when you understand what grace is, and I know the stories of so many of you guys, and, and you were raised in homes that were extremely legalistic, and you were raised in churches that believed that, you know what, you can live in such a way to where now you're in Christ, and now you're out of Christ, that your actions determine whether you are still saved. You even heard Corey say this today, and he was quoting what I've said many times. We don't live our lives in such a way about how tightly we can hold on to God it is God the one who holds on to us and nothing upon nothing, Scripture says, can ever pluck us from his hand. And I know some of your stories and you're like, man, I was raised in such a way believing that my eternal security was based upon my life. And you had this guilt that just stayed over you all the time. And that's the reason why every Sunday you would go to church that was a legalistic type church. And you were like, I need to be saved. And you would get saved all over again as if that's something that can occur. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit through the scripture revealed to you the doctrine of grace. 
And you're like, it's, it's like I've been freed. And opponents would say this, oh, so you're saying that you've been freed, that I can live my life any way that I want to live my life, and I'll still be in right standing with God. Friend, I'm telling you, you've been changed by Christ. There'll not only be a name change, there'll be a heart change. There'll be a lifestyle change. There'll be a mouth change. There'll be a change across the board. And it's not I'm being changed so that I might be in right standing with God. I've been changed because I am in right standing with God. And so here's Paul. Paul's like, man, I've been changed by Jesus Christ. I was highly religious, and now I have a relationship. I was living a life that was ca characterized by guilt, and now I've tasted grace. And then he was also changed by Jesus from hatred to humility. Paul's the kind of guy that he didn't just have a dislike for Christians. He hated Christians. But then he was changed. He was Saul, and he was changed, and he started loving the ones that he hated. You get a chance, go over to Acts chapter 6 and read the story of Stephen. Here is Stephen, this man of God. Here is Stephen who is before the religious leaders of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and he is sitting there, and he is basically pointing his finger at these Jewish Pharisees, and he is saying, you have crucified the Son of God, but don't you worry because God raised him from the dead, and he is alive today, and it made him so angry. The Bible says that they picked up stones and they threw him out of the hall and they were going to, or they did, they did. They stoned him to death by hurling these stones until he finally died. The Bible says there was a young man there by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He witnessed the whole thing. He heard everything. That he was standing there and as these Pharisees were stoning Stephen to death because Stephen dared to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, they said, you know what, we really, can't, we really can't get our arms loose enough to throw these as hard as we need to. They took their coats off and the Bible says they laid them at the feet of the young man named Saul. He was a witness and he watched as Stephen said, I can see heaven open. I can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the Father, and that made the Jewish Pharisees even angrier, and they picked up huge jagged rocks, and they began throwing them until Stephen finally died. Saul would have been there. Saul would have heard the thuds into the body of Stephen. Paul would have watched as the blood covered the skin the skin of this saint, and then Saul slash Paul would have listened as the last thing Stephen said before his life was finally taken from him. He said, Lord Jesus, don't lay this sin to their charge. It, it, it would be like he was saying, Father, forgive these people for killing me. I think that touched Paul. I don't think Paul had ever heard anything like that before in his life. You know, there's this guy saying, forgive these folks that are taking my life. I think it changed him. I think I think he probably had a hard time sleeping that night, yet the Bible tells us that he shook it off. And he became even more violent in his hatred for Christians. Saul himself became the one who drugged Christians out of their homes. He became the one who actually put them to death. He became a secret agent for the Jewish underground whose entire mission was to purge Christians from the Jewish faith. And one day the Bible says that Saul 
was on the Damascus Road, and he was going to arrest Christians, and suddenly, right before him, there was a light there, and then Jesus appeared to him out of nowhere, and Jesus asked him this question, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what I take from that? If you're persecuting the church of Jesus, you're persecuting Jesus. If you say an evil word about the church of Jesus, you're saying an evil word about Jesus. And notice what Saul said. Saul said, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'm telling you, that's a changed man. What is it that you would have me to do? I would say that's salvation right there. Lord Jesus, what is it that you would have me to do? Saul becomes a Christian. Suddenly, he goes one moment from hating Christians to now, all of a sudden, he's loving Christians. And he returned to Jerusalem, and he asked the people that he had been arresting and putting to death, hey, 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 can we meet? Because I'm a Christian now, and I love you guys. And they're like, thanks, but no thanks. They weren't very anxious to receive him. They didn't believe him. It'd be, it'd be like me, you know, let's just say that today at the service, the service is over. Let's just say that little Nas X comes up to me. Some of you are like, Who? I know, I'm ashamed that I even know the name. The guy who, a couple of weeks ago, you know, took the Nikes and put the drop of blood in them, and these are satanic shoes, and sold 666 of them, and all that kind of stuff. And let's just say that at the end of the service, he's here today, and he comes up to me, and he says, you know what, I've become a Christian. I've surrendered to Jesus Christ. Could I have a word of testimony before the church? Here's what I'd say. Yeah, I don't think so. No, 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 not today. Let, let, let's wait a little while. Let's see. Did you see the one guy came along and said that he was going to do Jesus shoes? And so he decorated them all in Chick-fil-A and put a drop of Chick-fil-A sauce inside the shoe? Did you see that? Did you see that? I wouldn't trust myself with a drop of Chick-fil-A sauce inside my shoe. I, I feel like in a moment of desperation, I might be tearing my shoes apart, right? Man, I don't think, that's what they said. Yeah. That's okay, Saul. Thanks, but, but no thanks. And, and so they, they, they watched. They watched. And in time, he proved what had happened was real. And suddenly, this man who hated, who hated Christians was now loving them. I'm just saying, he had a life-changing experience. And I want to ask you, have you had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ? You say, well, now, now I'm Baptist. No, that wasn't the question. Plenty of Baptists will be in hell. Have you had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ? Well, well you know, I, I'm a member of the church. Well, that's awesome. But that's not the question. The question is not, have you been baptized? I mean, clearly, what a great, great uh, act of obedience. Christ gets glory through that, but that, that's not the question. Have you had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ? That's what happened in the life of Paul. Has there ever come a time when you were one way and then all of a sudden you were exactly the opposite? So much for the case of Saul, they changed his name. Not even the same guy right here. So he was changed by Jesus. I would say that's the first mark of a true Christian, somebody that is changed by Jesus. Here's the second mark, chained to Jesus. Saul was chained to Jesus. Look back in Romans 1.1. Notice what he says there. He says, Paul, a bond servant. The word there for bond servant means slave. 
He's saying, I have become a slave to Jesus Christ. So much to the point that he's going to write his second letter to the church at Corinth. And over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I want you to listen to what Paul writes. He writes in 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of of him. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that I am such a slave to Jesus Christ, that is my position in him. I'm his bond servant. I'm to do whatever he asks. That's my position in Christ. Now let me explain what he is saying there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. In the Roman Empire, Roman generals would sometime go out to fight the battle and when they won, which was most of the time, what would happen is there would be a victory parade in Rome. When the general got a, singles day, a single day's journey from Rome, he would send out a runner. And the runner would go ahead of them with all of his might. He would finally come to Rome and he would say, hey, listen, the general's coming to town. He has been victorious. The enemy has been defeated. We need to have a victory day parade tomorrow. I mean, this is before, I mean, how else were they going to get the word out? I mean, this is before television. This is before radio. This is, I mean, you know, they weren't like, we're going to tweet something on Twitter or, you know, we're going to post something on Facebook or we're going to call somebody. They didn't have any barber shops, no beauty salons, nothing like that. And so here's how they got the word out. When they woke up that morning, they would use a certain kind of incense that would fill all the city of Rome. And so when the people woke up and they smelt whatever that smell was, that sweet aroma, they were like, oh man, there has been a victory. The army's coming back. The general has been victorious. We need to line the streets because there's going to be a victory parade today. You know, our senses do weird things, right? It's amazing. Our senses, when they, you know, you ever, you ever hear something, maybe hear a song or something like that, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> I remember that girl I dated in ninth grade. That song takes me back to that point. Oh, if I'd only stuck with her. And then she's listening to that song. She's like, oh gosh, thank God I didn't stick with that guy. Senses do weird things. You see something and it brings something back. Or you smell something, right? You smell something and it, and it brings something to mind. I can remember... Uh, my dad grew up in a small little town right on the Tennessee River. And my grandmother had a, quote, farm. The only reason it was called a farm is because she had a barn, but there was nothing in the barn. <laughs> and my granddad was a well digger, and he also had a little side business that he ran way deep in the woods. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. I don't know what the statute of limitations are. And we would, go, we would go to visit my grandmother, and in this town right there on the Tennessee River, they had a big paper mill like we do. And we, I can remember as a young boy pulling into his town, and, 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 you know, and he would go, oh, you know what that smell is? And I'm like, rotten eggs. He said, rotten eggs? 
And he would say, no, that smell is money. Because the paper mill carried the weight of the town. I mean, some of you guys would say the same as well. You know, money, money. Well, here they are. They would wake up that morning and they would smell whatever that aroma was, that incense, and they would say, today, today there's going to be a victory parade. Let's line the streets. At the head of the parade was the winning Roman general. He would be in a beautiful chariot that was pulled by a team of white horses. Don't miss this. And chained to the chariot of the winning victorious general were the officers of the defeated army. That's what Paul's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, when he says, This is my position in Christ. I'm his bondservant. I'm his slave. He is the conquering general. And I'm chained to his chariot. I'm only his slave. Now, there's a couple of things that that means. First of all, it means that he was conquered by Jesus Christ. I mean, I've got to ask the question, have you been conquered by Jesus Christ? You say, well, I'm not, I'm not even in a, in a war with Jesus Christ. I've not even been fighting Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, you have. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that your will and God's will are constantly fighting against each other. There's a contrast there. Remember, I told you, Paul's the one who will eventually write the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. I'm at war here with my will and God's will, and they're contrasting against each other. And as long as you say, I'm going to do what I want to do, you've not been conquered by Jesus. But when you come to a place in your life and you say, not my will, but your will be done. That's what Christ said when it came to the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. Then all of a sudden, your will has been conquered by God's will. And you start to understand what Paul meant when he said, hey, I'm chained to the chariot. My position is that of a slave. And that's, I mean, it flies completely in the face of everything that we hear today. Even being taught from slick back superstar preachers on platforms to where they basically say this, God exists for you. No, it's not about you being his slave. It's about him being your genie. Ask whatever you will. And if you'll just have enough faith, then guess what? God will give you all that. And yet some of the most faithful people I've ever met in my life didn't know where they would have food to eat tomorrow or not. This goes against everything that we're taught in our culture. What, I'm supposed to be a slave? Well, He's the conquering general. I'm defeated. I'm, I'm chained to his chariot. He's just sitting here. And Paul's saying, I used to be Saul. I used to hate Christians. I used to kill Christians. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven into my life, saved me. Now I've gone to becoming Paul. I love Christians. You know what he would do when he would go into a town for the first time after he had come to know Christ? He would go directly to the synagogue his Jewish brothers and sisters. And you know what he would say? You're not going to believe what's happened to me. I used to be religious. And I've been set free. I'm in a relationship with God. I used to have a, a, a burden on my heart. 
But no, I don't have, carry that guilt any longer. Now I walk in grace. I used to be a hateful man. But now he's humbled me. Here's the second thing that it means. It means that you're controlled by Jesus. It was up to the conquering general to decide what he would do with the, uh, uh, the defeated officials of the opposing army. Some were killed. Some were set free. Sometimes the generals would allow them to stay alive, but they would serve in their household as slaves, but it was entirely up to the conquering general. The slaves were underneath his control. Have you come to that place in your life where you've said, you know what, Jesus, I don't want control of my life. You take it. That's what Paul's talking about here. You control my life. Let me explain it this way. How many of you guys, you like cruise control on your car? You, you like it and you use it. Yeah, I hate it. I can't stand cruise control. I never use cruise control, ever. If I'm using cruise control, I've turned it on by accident. And I know you're, you're like, hey, well, no, you get on the interstate and you set it and, you know, the RPMs and it'll just go this consistent speed. And if you come to a hill, it'll, it'll recognize and sense that. So you need a little bit more RPMs to make sure your speed doesn't change to help you get up the hill. And then if you're coming down a hill, it'll realize you don't need as many RPMs to keep that consistent speed. So you back off a little bit and it's, it's grand, it's glorious. I don't have to use my foot to press the accelerator because that wears me out. Can I just stop and say this? If your foot pushing the accelerator wears you out, you have no business driving. <laughs> out of shape is not even an appropriate description for you. I don't like it, and you know why I don't like it? Because I'm not in control. I want to be in control. I'm, I'm confessing this to you today. I want to be in control. Here's the deal. You never know, driving down the interstate, let's just say somebody comes up next to you and decides they're going to pass you. I think not. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Not today, buddy. You may think I got cruise control set. No. The last thing God will sanctify on my body is my right foot. But you like cruise control. I get that. And so you're sitting there and you're like, well, I'm not going to have to worry about it. Set it on cruise control and I'll just kind of coast alone. Now, I will stop and say this, guys. Hey, it's, it's kind of meant to be done on the interstate I'm pretty sure I've been, high, been behind some of you guys doing it around the streets here in town. Y'all not set cruise control on 25. Here's the same, hey, hey here, here's what I'm telling you. Just as you set that special setting of cruise control and it says we will keep it this speed. When you sit there and you find yourself in life and somebody has been angry to you, somebody has been mean to you, somebody has responded in a way to you that was just not right and you know and and then all of a sudden you sit there and you remember well the Bible says that I'm to love all people and you're like but but when God wrote that he didn't know them right he didn't know they would say what they said he didn't know that they would treat me the way that they treated. Oh, he knew. No, he knew. Caught you by surprise, not him. And you say, well, there's just no way. 
I can love them. Well, no, you may not. But won't you go ahead and set Jesus control and say, you know what, Jesus, you're going to have to love them through me. Somebody does something mean, says something. You know what? Every now and then this will happen. You'll find this hard to believe even here in Bay County. Somebody will say something about you that's just not true. That's not supposed to happen in the Bible Belt. Shoot. (laughs) It'll happen before you get out of this place. And you know the Bible says you're supposed to forgive them. Well, now... (laughs) I can't do it. And you'll even sit there and you'll come up with an excuse for yourself. Well, you know, the good book says that the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So, you know, quit making excuses for sin. Instead, say, you know what, Jesus, everything in my flesh is screaming out that I want to bring the same kind of harm to them that they brought to me. And you know what, Lord, I know what you've called me to do. I'm your slave. My will is not mine. It belongs to you. I'm chained to your chariot. So you know what? I'm setting it in Jesus' control. You're going to have to forgive them through me. And so that's what it means. I'm being controlled by Jesus. You say, well, basically, you're telling me to do the opposite of what I'm feeling. In most cases, yeah. It's exactly what it means. I mean, here's Saul. I hate Christians. They've ruined my religion. Here's Paul. Hello, Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. I know you're about to drag me out of this synagogue and throw me over a cliff and try to kill me because of what I'm about to say, but I'm willing to risk it. Jesus saved me and he can save you. You're conquered by Christ. You're controlled by Christ. So he had a life that was changed and he was chained to Jesus. Here's the third one. The third mark of a true Christian called by Jesus. Let's look back in verse 1. Shoot, let's read the whole thing. It's not long. Verse 1, Romans 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and separated to the gospel of God. Here's two things that that means. When you become a follower of Christ, again, relationship, not religion. When I've surrendered to him, I'm walking with him on a daily journey. Christ is Lord of my life then God wants you, first of all, to be somebody. You're like, I knew it, I knew it. You're a name it, claim it guy. God wants you to be somebody. Yeah, he does. Paul says, God wants me to be an apostle. Now, I'll tell you, it's different for you, and I'll tell you in a moment why I believe it is different for you. God may be calling you to be a disciple. God may be calling you to be a missionary. God may be calling you to be a teacher. God may be calling you just to be a good old general servant in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God calls everyone that are in a relationship with him to be somebody. The Apostle Paul was in a category that I believe is no longer available to us today. You can even capitalize the word apostle there with an A because there are only 12 of them. Revelation chapter 21 verse 14, it describes the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, the new city, and it says that there are 12 foundations in this city and that each of these 12 foundations has the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You say, well, who are they? I mean, you know Peter, James, John, Andrew. You know them, you know them. Uh, One of those 12, Judas, was eliminated. 
Acts chapter 1, the disciples or the apostles were like, man, we've got to have another one. We've got to have this number 12. That number 12, it means something to God. We've got to have another one. The 12 tribes of Israel, we've got to have another one. And so they did something super spiritual to decide who would be the next apostle to take Judas's place. Yeah, they rolled dice. Drew lots. It's almost like, ha, 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 Matthias, you got this short stick, you're in. But then here's Paul, and Paul says that he is an apostle. Well, there are only 12. I mean, we, we won't know until we get to heaven. I don't even know that we'll care when we get to heaven, but I want you to join me over there at the foundation, and we'll look at the name, and we'll see. Is it the name Matthias, or is it the name Paul? I personally believe it'll be the name Paul. You say, what if it's not? Are you going to get upset? Not one single moment will I. I'll be all right. What were the requirements for an apostle? They had to see Jesus in the resurrected body. That's what happened on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to Paul. Also, apostles had to be able to perform miracles. Did you know that Paul did that too? One time the Bible tells us this, Paul was preaching. And unlike short-winded preachers like me that go for about 40 minutes, he kept preaching and preaching and preaching, and it was getting later and later and later. It was way past the point, are we going to be out of here by 12? And there was a young man that was sitting in the windowsill on the second floor as he's preaching. And he got a little sleepy. And he fell smooth out of the window, hit the ground, and broke his neck. Now, let me just stop and say this. Bad things happen to people who sleep while the preacher's preaching. <laughs> Wake up! So what happened and what Paul do? Paul ran out there and, you know, and here's the guy basically dead and Paul, Paul performed a miracle. Paul, Paul healed him. Paul brought him back to life. Now, let me just stop and say this. If you fall asleep and something happens to you while I'm preaching, I'm not an apostle. I can't come and perform the miracle of healing. I'll pray for you. I'll be honest with you. If you've probably gone on to heaven, I'm not going to pray you out. But God called him to, to be somebody. God's called you to be somebody. God's called you to be a disciple. God's called you to be a follower of Jesus. He also calls us to do something. There's been a philosophical debate all through the centuries, and it goes something like this. Is it more important to be or is it more important to do? To be or to do? To be or to do? Socrates said this. He said, to be is to do. John Paul uh, Sartre said this. To do is to be. I tend to like what Frank Sinatra said. Doobie, doobie, doo. That's the easiest way to remember it to me. Hey, that debate's never going to be settled. To be or to do, to be or to do. But as a Christian, you're called to be somebody, but you're also called to do something. What are we called to do? We're called to do the very same thing that Paul was called to do. To be a bearer and a sharer of the gospel of Jesus. 
to be a bearer and a sharer of the good news. Now, I know the terminology good news, so many of you don't really understand what we mean by the good news. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of times folks will go to a church and there'll be a preacher who'll get up there and he'll run all over the up and down your back with hobnob boots, your front with hobnob boots. Just when you think you have a little bit of rest, he'll, he'll kick you with hobnob boots. And just when you finally get a little bit of comfort, he'll sucker punch you and you walk out of that place and you feel so beaten down and you're like, woo, he preached the good news, didn't he? Well, no, that's, that's a style. That's not the good news. Now, there is bad news. What's the bad news? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. What's the bad news? No matter how good of a life that I live, I will never live a life good enough to forgive my sins, even if I only have one sin, and go to heaven when I die. That's, that's, that's the bad news. The bad news is there is a real place called hell. And for those who die and their sins have not been forgiven, hell will be their home for all eternity. The bad news is once death happens, your eternity is secured forever. The bad news is we all deserve hell. The bad news is we're all enemies of God. But now, if it weren't for the bad news, I don't know if the good news would be quite as good. The good news is God knows exactly how you are. He created you. The the, the good news is God never expected you to live a perfect life because he knows you can't. The good news is God did not create hell for one single one of us. Nor does God send anyone to hell. You see, I thought you said there will be people in hell. They will, but it won't be because God sent them. God did everything he could through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, if you'll just believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be forgiven. Hell will not be your future. Heaven will be your home. He doesn't send anybody there. We send our own selves there. The good news is he'll forgive every sin. You're like, well, I've got some that are, yeah. Even that one. He'll forgive the good. Paul used to be Saul. Said, my goodness. Everywhere I go, I got to talk about the good news of Jesus. Cost him a lot, but even then he said, man, the things I've lost for the cause of Christ, that's nothing. Because I got Jesus. Let me give you an example. Let's just say that all of a sudden, all of a sudden one day I wake up and my right foot is really swollen. My left face is starting to really, really droop. And my foot gets bigger and my face starts drooping more and more. And 
I realize that something's wrong, and so I go, I go to my doctor, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but my foot's swollen, and my face is swelling, and it's drooping, and I'm afraid I've got some kind of disease. And, and he says, well, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen this before. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. And they do test after test after test, and they can't find out what's going on. So they send me to a doctor that specializes in diagnosing illnesses, and, and they do a test. And I'm sitting there, and the doctor's like, wow, I can't believe this. I mean, I, it seems as though I remember something that was in a textbook that I had back in medical school about, about a disease. But I mean, but nobody has had this disease for for almost a century now. I mean, and I said, well, well what is it? And he says, I, I think you have foot and mouth disease. <laughs> foot and mouth disease. Some of you have had that, haven't you? <laughs> foot and mouth disease. And I'm like, well, okay, what do you do for it? He goes, there's no cure. 100% fatality rate. There's no option. I mean, you, you have no hope. I mean, just go out and, you know, Try to get your affairs in order because you're going to die. So I walk out of the doctor's office and naturally I'm discouraged and I have no hope. And all of a sudden I run into an old friend of mine and he's like, hey, hey, Stephen, what's, what, what's, what's, what's going on? What, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I've got foot and mouth disease. Can't you see? And he's like, what? Wait, wait, wait. hang on. Hang. I remember my great-grandmother I remember her telling stories about that about somebody that got cured and I I remember talking specifically about foot and mouth disease and and I'm like what what, tell me more about your your great-grandmother and he's like well you know she she lives here and all this kind of stuff and I'm like she's still alive yeah she's really really aged but she's still living and and I'm like, well, can I, can I see her? Yeah, come on, come on, I'll take you to her house. And he takes me over to her house, and we knock on the door, and she comes to the door, and she takes one look at me, and she goes, you've got uh, foot and mouth disease. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I do, I do. I've been diagnosed with it, and they tell me I'm going to die, that there's no cure whatsoever. And she said, wait, 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 I've seen somebody that's been cured of this before. There's a certain potion that you can make, and hang on, I've got the recipe over here. It'll take me a while, but I'll dig it out of this book. And she pulls it out of the book, and she goes into the kitchen, and she starts making some kind of potion. And, you know, she's like, all right, it takes sassafras roots and herbs and all this kind of stuff. And I'm looking at it, and it looks horrible, and the smell is just atrocious and she's like here drink this and you'll get better and I'm like what do I got to lose and so so I drink it and as I drink it all of a sudden I notice my my foot's not quite as swollen as it used to be and my mouth is not quite as drawn as it used to be and she's like you give it just a little while and you'll be fine and I sat there and when it's all said and done I walk out of her house and I'm completely healed my mouth is correct my foot is correct and and then I'm just I'm so excited and I'm hugging her thank you grandma thank you she's not even my grandma Thank you, Grandma. Thank you, Grandma. I'm high-fiving my friend. Thank you. You took the time to talk to me. Thank you that you took me to her house. Thank you. They told me there was no hope, and now I've been cured. And I walk out, and I'm walking down the street, and lo and behold, another old friend comes walking up, and I can tell they're very dejected and discouraged. And I'm like, hey, what's wrong? And they say, I've been diagnosed with foot and mouth disease. Now, now what am I going to do? Am I going to say, well, that's tough. Good luck on that one. Hey, man, listen. I'll send flowers to your funeral. Been good knowing you. 
not going to respond that way. You wouldn't respond that way. How am I going to respond? I'm going to say, you're not going to believe this. I had it too. I was just like you. They told me there was no hope. They told me 100% death rate. They told me there was no cure. But listen, there's this great-grandmother. She's got the recipe for the potion. I drank it and I'm cured. I just came from her house. Come on, I'll show you where she lives. We go to her house. I knock on the door. She comes to the door and I'm like... (laughs) And she's like, it's another one. He's got foot and mouth disease. I'm like, yep, I'll go get the sassafras roots. Drink the potion, man. Drink the potion. You'll be healed. That's what God's called us to. Because look at me. We have all, we've all been dealing with an illness much greater than foot and mouth disease. It's called sin. That's what Paul meant when he said, the heart that sins, it will surely die. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, (laughs) I heard an old preacher say one time, aren't you thankful for the buts in the Bible? Yes, I am. But, thanks be to God for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every single day of every single week, you and I encounter people who are terminally ill. They are eternally ill because of the sin sickness, and you and I know the cure. The question in my mind is this. Why are we not telling people about the thing that saved us? Why are we not telling people about the thing that cured us? The thing that healed us us it's good news it's good news so tell it so here's Saul he killed Christians he hated Christ the ways of Jesus highly religious completely lost and then he turns to Jesus so radically changed that they said, you know what? We'll even change your name because nobody will believe this guy's Saul. And that's what God wants to do for you. Have you experienced the life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. First of all, let me just speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I think you would agree with me this morning that nobody is in your life by chance or coincidence. Whether it be people that you go to school with, whether it be people that are sitting at the kitchen table at your house, whether it be people that you work with, whether it be people that you are in the neighborhood with, wherever it may be, no one is there by happenstance. 
Again, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who have a personal relationship with Jesus, God has placed those people there so that you might do something. You might be a bearer and a sharer of the good news of Jesus. Today, would your prayer be, God, give me the courage to do what you called me to do. Honestly, you may even have to say, I'm going to put this one on Jesus' control. Yeah. Maybe right now you would just, you'd pray for those people by name. God, give me, give me opportunity. God, give me the words. You've called me to be somebody, but you've called me to do something. Let me be busy doing that something. Would you pray for him today? And I know what some of you are thinking. Boy, that, that person in my life, the only, the only way they could get saved is through a miracle. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're asking God for today. A miracle. Because, friend, I'm telling you, the only way a man, woman, boy, or girl go from death to life, from lost to found, from spiritually blind to sight, is the miraculous. You're asking for a miracle. Thanks be unto God, we serve a Savior that is the miracle worker. Call out to him today. Make it a matter of prayer. And then make it a matter of action. Others of you that are listening to me today, you're faithful. You come here most Sundays. You do all the right things that a good churchgoer should do. But you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your life's not been changed. You're one way here and another way when you're out of here. You need the transforming power of a life that is surrendered to Jesus' control. How about today you do just that? Save me, Lord, come into my life. That's right. Call on his name right where you are, right inside your heart. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I trust you, Lord. I want to be obedient to you. I want to serve you with the life that I've been given. Change me. Friend, I'm telling you, saying a prayer never forgave a single sin, but a prayer is merely an outward expression of what is already happening inside your heart. And if that is exactly what is taking place in your heart, then he'll do just that. He'll forgive, he'll cleanse, he'll change. You can move from being religious to into a relationship. Oh God, may you take the words that we've studied today. And right now, may your spirit May he speak to our hearts through the truth of the good news and the gospel. 
And may we respond in a way that you've called us to so that you would get glory through the very life that you've gifted us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D-P-A-R-K dot org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been 